Welcome to episode one of the Athletic Lab Sport Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Grace. Athletic Lab is a sport performance training center specializing in youth and elite level development out of North Carolina in the United States. This podcast will feature coaches and researchers that specialize in all things sports science, coaching, and training. Mladen Jovanovic is our very first guest on the podcast. Mladen is a performance coach and sports scientist for Port Adelaide FC of the AFL. Previously, Mladen has worked with soccer, volleyball, tennis, and basketball. In this podcast, we will cover team strategies and cultures with regard to soccer and the AFL, agile periodization methods compared to other traditional methods, and big picture thinking. Lastly, we'll cover the team sport setting and how injuries and fatigue affect planning and training and some approaches to readjust training. We apologize for the background noise. We will get that fixed in future episodes. We hope you enjoy our podcast. You can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Athletic Lab. Please share our podcast and stay tuned for future episodes. So how did you kind of get into sport performance, uh, sport analytics, and sport science in general? Um, kind of give us a background of, of what you have done, what you do, and maybe who, who are some uh, mentors of yours? So uh, um, I, I believe it's, uh, it's random. It's not nothing planned. So definitely not a long-term plan, uh, something that I planned like 10 years ago. So things pretty much evolve um, across the time, and you, you know you end up in a certain position. Um, and there's a, a interesting interplay between what I did in high school and uh, middle school because I was a uh, was I was a pretty much a nerd kid, and I did uh, programming. Uh, we programmed QBasic back then in DOS, uh, then C, and then eventually I started programming in assembler. Uh, but uh, I went, somehow I ended up studying uh, sports and, and sports science and, and thought I'm not never going to use those skills again. Uh, but eventually I started collecting data with, with, the, with the clubs I used to work with and you know someone had to analyze those data and visualize. Uh, so you know the task was on me. So back then, I think 2011, I, I didn't even use Excel as much. Uh, so eventually the, the problems arise and you know you, you learn by solving your own problems and you know googling or, or buying books online and um, you know one step at a time I ended up uh, learning our programming language and and you you know learning the machine some of the machine learning uh, techniques which which I use to solve practical issues in daily work at the club so uh, you know as I said pretty much unplanned and you know something that happened you know you know from solving the club issues and solving the today issues as a, as a as a coach and as a analyst uh, when it comes to I would say mentors in this particular, particular area um, there I don't know if, if I have any mentors so um, I, I, I 
can recommend a couple of books and pretty much those authors that, that uh, created those books are pretty you know, outstanding and and the whole R community and uh, you know uh, books on R and websites on R so it's, it's pretty much self, self-taught when it comes to uh, data analytics so not sure if that answers your question but uh, that, that's pretty much it no that's fine um, I think a lot of coaches kind of fall on that similar scenario where you have to learn on your own or at least some of it anyway and I think every coach uh, has gone through a period of that it just sounds like maybe you have gone through more uh, it, might be, it might be my um, crazy mind it needs to have something to juggle with or else I'm, I'm become bored yeah um, so so now you are uh, with Port Adelaide in uh, Aussie Rules football is that right yeah, exactly. So I have a dual role as a strength, strength coach uh, and data scientist, which is probably uh, 99% of, of tasks being done. And I'm assisting Ian McKeown in the gym, but uh, eventually I shifted most of my work to um, data science and data analytics. Okay. Um, and you were pretty heavily in uh, soccer or football. Um, international football. Um, what what kind of differences have you noticed, or is there any differences between, say, um, international football and Aussie rules football? Whether it be culture, whether it be data, um, or any of those things that you are currently doing. I I believe, uh, um, you know, under under um, my experience with, with IFL, and that's only one club. Uh, I believe that IFL is pretty much way, way more advanced when it comes to analytics and generally sports science um, from any any sport, especially soccer in particular. Uh, so IFL is definitely leading the way in, in implementation of the you know applied sports science. Um, when it comes to coaching, um, th- there are some differences definitely in in, in, in terms of. Um, um, I would say emphasis on certain things. Um, some are good, some are bad. Um, I would say, uh, besides the implementation of the uh, sound recovery strategies and all the all the, I would say, evidence-based whatever that means of uh, uh, practices, something that struck my mind was uh, number of uh, skill sessions, and I believe that soccer because of, of all this tactical periodization and uh, you know we don't we don't want to become too slow by lifting culture uh, they do much much more um, uh, soccer practices where uh, in, in footy there's much less it m- might be due to culture it might be due to the you know the contact nature of sport um, so we spend much more time doing you know lifting and you know physical sorry physical preparation compared to soccer yeah so that's, that's, that's one of the uh, uh, differences. And besides, I, I think we are pretty happy and pretty uh, uh, lucky to have this group of athletes in, in Port Adelaide because the culture is quite amazing. Uh, the, the boys are, you know, fantastic. So it's a fantastic group of guys, uh, really easy to uh, coach, and uh, they are really, I would say, compliant and, and responsible group of players so I'm not sure if that's the case in other clubs but from what I heard from what I hear is it's quite similar um, 
uh, in other clubs in, in Australian Football League as well. So I would say that what, what strikes me the, as a most different thing is, is definitely the, the culture of, of, of the players. Yeah, uh, that, I mean, you can kind of see the difference in body type and who, who kind of has been in the weight room and who hasn't uh, from, from the comparison of soccer to uh, Aussie rules football. Uh, you can just see physically uh, who has been there and who has who hasn't. Yeah, definitely. The the, um, the demands of the sport is uh, is a bit different. So Australian Australian football is more physical uh, sport. If if you plot it on a continuum, uh, more hits, more contact. So and the players are generally taller. Uh, much more distance being covered in, in a game, so you know, um, so the you know the, the physical shape of the players is uh, is different by by selection as well, but also uh, based on uh, training being being performed and especially as we say, uh, strength training. It's not it's not it, when it comes to strength levels, it's not similar or pretty or close at all to um, American football, but it's much much better than soccer definitely sure um, and you talk about um, you know weight room training speed training and what have you um, what, one of the big concepts that you have kind of developed or at least expanded upon is agile periodization can you expand on maybe your definition of that and maybe how it differs from the traditional methods we all see in say textbooks um, to be honest I don't I still don't have a I would say a, a clear image of what it is, it's something that I'm, I would say trying to form in my head and probably try to write the article about it. The general idea behind Agile periodization, and, and it, it might be just different name for same thing that people are using, um, is, is a, um, I'm going to use a, something that's called a Kinefin framework, or uh, uh, it's a Welsh word, so it's probably pronounced differently, uh, where we have four systems and four uh, for uh, four types of system, um, the first one is very simple system that cause and effect are quite you know simple and quite obvious. Uh, then we have a complicated system such as building a car or building an airplane, where uh, you know cause and effect are you know are more complicated, but it's quite linear still. Uh, and then we have complex systems where the cause and effect are you know quite complex and you know it's hard to predict what's going to happen. Um, but there are still certain patterns in, in that type of system. Um, and then we also have a chaotical system where things are really, really unpredictable. Uh, and as far as I can see, some of the uh, things related to training um, are spanning a couple of uh, types of systems. So, for example, uh, I believe that most of, most of our knowledge comes from uh, you know, believing that we are dealing with a complicated system. Uh, where, where we pretty much know and consult experts and then we can predict what's going to happen based on what, what we are doing. Uh, but I'm not, from my experience and, you know, uh, and experience of others, I believe that that's not the case. And uh, one of the person that actually, you know, planted this war in my head was uh, John Keeley and his writings about, uh, you know, problems of periodization. Uh, and back then I was reading stuff on IT um, and you know agile and lean development in um, in computer industry, and I saw a couple of parallels that could be used in, in training. 
So generally, the idea of agile is, I would say, um, uh, iterative planning um, and and something that's called uh, um, uh, I would say safe safe to fail uh, um, uh, experiments. So because pretty much we don't know what's going to happen, even if we apply a certain training method on a group of athletes or even a single individual. Uh, we have a, pre, uh, a prior belief uh, what this training is going to bring, uh, and sometimes we even plan tremendous amount of uh, of, uh, of time in advance, and we believe that you know we're going to hit all these marks or whatever. We're going to have a predictive outcome, but that's not the case usually. So the idea of the agile periodization is to use these shorter iterative cycles, uh, where we pretty much do the plan, ongoing planning instead of big big chunk of planning, and then we uh, then we proceed with training, and then we compete or whatever. Uh, in this case, we uh, we use shorter cycles, and then we iterate between uh, planning, uh, development, testing, and and, and reviewing. Um, so, and I believe I believe that uh, uh, the agile periodization or whatever you want to call it, some, someone calls it flexible periodization or something like that, or cybernetic periodization, um, is is a better way to deal with the complex problems that, that we are dealing with. Uh, uh, for example, that uh, there are some research studies and you know coaches know from, from experience that uh, certain athletes react differently to the same, same stimuli. Uh, and we, we don't have this information up front. So we need to quickly, quickly learn about the about the athletes and about the effects. Uh, so, so the general idea behind agile periodization is, is speeding up uh, the learning effect we get from you know collecting data and pretty much we are experimenting all the time with the athletes. Uh, I know it sounds like we are, you know, throwing a, a pasta plate against the wall and seeing what sticks, but uh, I don't see that being different uh, than using a um, I would say pre-planned uh, plan. Um, in advance, because it's pretty much the same. Because we, we don't know what's going to happen with that plan, um, so definitely something I'm I'm working on at the moment. Right. Yeah. It because uh, it, it sounds like in, in I've had a little experience in team sports in a team sports setting is that you don't have the ability to plan uh, really long term due to say injuries or fatigue or dealing with starters, non-starters, non-dress players and so on. Um, you have all these factors, and w what I understand is that essentially we're trying to um, adapt to them rather than forcing them to adapt to us. Is that is that basically the concept of the Agile periodization method? Well, I think that's one of the principles. Uh, I see that as a, as a complementary pair. Uh, it seems that they're opposing, opposing uh, principles, uh, but I think we need to tackle both of them at the same time. Uh, so, for example, uh, we do need to prepare the athletes for the uh, for the uh, stress of the competing and uh, and the season. So, in this case, we are forcing them to adapt to our training. Uh, but also, on the flip side, we need to take into account you know their individual differences and adjust. So, it, it's juggling with with both principles. Um, and funny you mentioned the injuries and all this stuff. Um, for example, as the season progresses, um, and we have this season, the big season plan, 
you know, cycles and everything. And, you know, the simple example is that, uh, for example, if you have a winning streak, so we won like five games in a row, uh, I believe that uh, chemistry in, in, in the team is going to be much, much better and much more. Um, uh, you, you can pretty much pound the athletes much more. They're going to, you know, on the same law, they, they're going to recover and bounce back quite, quite faster. Um, where, for example, if you have a losing streak and you, you keep losing the games, and even if you apply the same training load, it might be too much for them because uh, of the mental load, uh, emotional, you know, emotional strain. Even the the biochemistry in the body might be different based on uh, you know emotional stress from losing the games. So the idea is that um, we need to take those into account. Uh, so we cannot use the pre-planned, uh, I would say pre-planned plan. So we need to uh, iterate planning and adjust plan as we go. Uh, the other thing is that uh, at the beginning of the season, or we don't have enough of information. Uh, we we, uh, uh, we don't know what's going to happen down the road, and then we do the most planning, which is ridiculous. So instead of that, we need to start with something that's pretty much doable, um, and then as we as we go, we collect more data, we collect more evidence and information, and then we adjust. So pretty much we are learning. So that's, uh, in my opinion, that's the you know, general principle of this you know agility. Sure. Um, yeah, and you talk about uh, adjusting training. Um, you know, maybe can you outline some, maybe some different approaches uh, to readjust training, or maybe different scenarios that you have come across. So pretty much now, the use of training stress balance and acute and chronic is something that's you know being universally applied everywhere, which I think is a quite uh, good strategy. Um, so. Most of that stuff comes from cycling, pretty much. Um, but now it's being applied to team sports because we are collecting much more data with GPS and and, um, and wellness monitoring and all that stuff. Uh, but with, with, as with everything, the, as you implement a certain monitoring in a system, you are, you are affecting the system. So the, my main concern is that uh, we want to avoid players gaming the system, um, giving, I would say, easy way out for the players uh, because you know I scored you know low on, on certain estimates whatever and then they have an easy way out or they have a, I would say um, they can they can say oh you know I played bad, bad because you know my wellness question wasn't good or, or anything so it's it's always tricky when we implement any type of monitoring in, in the team um, and then we need to you know we we need to think much, much deeper than you know just applying and, and showing the graphs to players. Um, we, we need to see the big picture, and then we need to see the rational side of, of you know human beings uh, and how those metrics are uh, you know being um, just by players. Um, and one thing also we need to take into account is you know just randomness and you know normal variability in anything. So sometimes we. We cannot jump too quickly on, on any you know jumps in the data because it might be just a normal thing. Uh, so the whole idea of, of the, you know changing training daily, I think it's in theory it's quite good, but in practice it's not really you know doable. And one of the ideas of you know agile periodization is instead of jumping to um, you know glitches in the data from day to day, is trying to find something that's 
uh, more individualized, but more on a, on a slightly longer term. Um, so, for example, trying to find uh, optimal training for a given individual rather than um, rather than jumping uh, from day to day. So, we, we are using data to inform our own, um, you know, decision what, what needs to be done. Um, and then we, we figure out what might be the best strategy. And, you know, I, I, I have a lot of questions from coaches asking me, should we do this on this day or do that on a given day? And at the end of the day, you can actually pretty much like in marketing in the A-B test. So you can, you know, if you have much, if you have a large number of athletes, you can you can uh, do an A-B test. So one group can do this, one group can do that. And then you can switch. So we can, we can do, we can infuse a little bit of randomness in training uh, to minimize the risk of the bad decision. And then after a certain period, we can talk to our players, you can check the data and see, you know, what group did, uh, did sorry, did better things like that so instead of just oh today your you know your heart rate variability is low you're gonna you know you're gonna you know take it easy today uh, I, I would rather say you know see what maybe why what life factors are affecting this in the long run so and, and adjust that instead of just jumping on a you know day-to-day -day, uh, glitches in the data sure yeah you you mentioned uh, you know different life factors uh, you know that that all kind of factors into general stress is what what kind of life factors um, you know do you guys look at and or do you guys intervene and, uh, when necessary? So we recently started monitoring uh, sleep uh, with, with you know a couple of uh, selected athletes, so which we, we try to monitor that and give up you know general recommendation when it comes to sleep. Um, and uh, we, we collect the wellness questionnaire as well, um, which is analyzed again using a strain and stress balance of you know two rolling averages. Um, so you know pretty much the, the usual stuff uh, as well with you know talking to our players. But in, as someone said, and I, I agree completely with this, sometimes the wellness questionnaire, all this data is a good conversation starter, and you also you can see also the historical pattern of, of, of the athletes. So pretty much everything goes inside the you know life life stress um, you know relationships um, you know uh, education stress you know exams bad sleep and it, it's a it's you know it's a whole package you need you need to take care of pretty much everything um, but at the at the end of the day as I said you, you don't want to you know babysit the athletes you you want to help them make the right choices uh, but you know you don't want to babysit them or. You don't want to send the message that you know they can, you can they can take it easy. Uh, so sometimes, just implementing a certain strategy, you know, you read about or, or you saw someone else using in your team without considering the culture, could could, could definitely backfire. So you need to take care of you know certain um, factors before you apply uh, you know, wellness monitoring or think training based on wellness or what what have you. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and to go back to the Agile method a little bit here, um, in one of your uh, blogs on your website, Complementary Training, um, you talk about you know breaking the chain of training sessions, and I thought this was a really interesting way of looking at it. And and if I'm if I read correctly or maybe you interpreted correctly, 
you're essentially ordering uh, your sessions in terms of greatest importance to maybe least importance. And if you break the chain of those sessions, you go back to session A or session one, whatever you want to call it. Is that, is that um, you know, right in that sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, the idea comes pretty much from Dan Pfaff and he's, uh, I think, rolling three days or something like that. So, um, and also comes from my experience, um, you know, and, and discussion with personal trainers and, you know, experience working in, in Aspire Academy where, where the athlete says not perfect attendance and, you know, they might skip certain sessions. So if you pre-plan the training week, say Monday we're going to do speed, Tuesday we're going to do tempo, Wednesday speed, you know, tempo again or, you know, speed endurance, you know, whatever. And if a given player skips, skips a given day, so they might skip a speed session. Um, and then you ended up doing, you know, one, one speed session and, and three tempo sessions uh, in a given week, um, which is again, it's not, it's not optimal. Um, so I saw, I saw what Dan Pfaff is, is using, and he's using it from a di for a different reason. So um, um, the, his reason is more recovery reason and more biological, where you uh, you allow the athlete to to do these. For example, three key sessions uh, whenever they feel ready, instead of you know planning them in advance on a given day in a week, uh, because you know competition might might change certain things and you know you might you might take longer or shorter time to recover. So you can you can do uh, sessions as as being suited by your biology instead of you know calendar. Uh, where in where in my example I use the uh, constraints of you know constraints of working in in a situation where the athletes are not professionals so the athletes might be missing a certain sessions and the general idea is to for example um, I'm gonna give an example from uh, personal training so if you have a personal training client who, who seems to be you know pretty hectic with, with his schedule and and then you decide to do, for example, upper-lower session with him, and he keeps skipping the lower body session all the time. So uh, you you might say, okay, the session number session A is full body session. Uh, if you fulfill the session A, and then you come back to training within two days, uh, you're gonna do upper body because you deserved it. But if you keep skipping session and you're coming only to a you know upper body session, you're not doing legs, uh, things like that. So. If, if he breaks the chain pretty much, uh, then he restarts. So if he keep missing the session, you're gonna give uh, the most important session again because he missed for three days or something. So that's uh, again, I think it's it's quite similar to agile principle where where you are pretty much adapting to a uh, to a situation rather than trying to impose certain structure that doesn't seem to be fit. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a, makes a lot of sense, and I, I think the concept uh, would work in many realms. Have, have you found you use, you've used that specific concept with where you are now, or have you just used that in the past? Um, we are pretty happy with, uh, with, and pretty lucky again, uh, with, with our boys. Um, not sure if, it's, if that's doable with team sports, because, you know, at the end of the day, you have tactical sessions, and, you know, you cannot do a... Defending with with one defender and and three are doing you know lifting, so uh, those are constraints in the system that needs to be you know taken care of. 
where I see this fit is, you know, pretty much working with, you know, individual athletes um, and maybe personal clients when you have one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one sessions or um, you, you don't need a team of athletes that are doing the same thing at the same time to fulfill the training, uh, you know, goal. So it's mostly suited to, you know, individual sports and, um, and, and personal clients. Sure, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and the, probably the last question here, unless, unless we get into uh, another topic, is again on the agile periodization method is, is maybe some ideas on how to adjust the bigger picture using, say, um, a varied method uh, or uh, the agile method. Um, maybe just some different ideas to adjust from a long-term standpoint or adjust from a, a very long season. I mean, we are, we, are, we are pretty much learning all the time, um, both, both as coaches and we are adjusting all of our um, uh, philosophies and everything. Um, but, you know, using Agile doesn't mean you don't have a long-term plan. Uh, it just means you, you avoid planning too much in advance. Yeah. You still want to put a big picture so you know, ex you know approximately what's happening when. Uh, and that gives you a certain constraint what can be done in certain periods and what needs to be uh, achieved in a certain periods. Uh, but you don't plan in details or for, you know, up front because you don't have the information what's going to happen. So you plan in advance, I would say, in details small amounts of, uh, for, for small amount of time. So you have a general plan which is you know, quite, uh, quite loose, I would say. Uh, that, that's, you know, could be an annual plan and you can, you can put you know, when you have a training camp, when you have competitions, all the things that you can, uh, that pretty much you cannot change. And that gives you a, a certain constraints that you need to, you know, work uh, under. And then um, you, you plan in details for very small amount of time, maybe one to three weeks in advance. Um, and then you use information to adjust that. So pretty much you are adjusting the, the short term. Uh, when it comes to adjusting the long term, uh, uh, pretty much I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. So sometimes it's, uh, it's the, the plan is evolving as you gain information. So when I see the charts from really detailed charts for, for a annual plan, you know, people using POMPA style planning and all that stuff, um, which I did before as well. I, I used to plan the whole season up front and this is, you know, this we're going to do this uh, then and, you know, we're going to do a hypertrophy phase for four weeks and then you're going to have maximum power and max strength and, you know, yada, yada, yada up front. Uh, but now I see that as, you know, planning too much too soon. Uh, so you, you want to avoid planning in advance uh, when you don't have the information. Uh, but when it comes to, say, putting those, I would say, medium level plans, like, like, Mesocycles, cycles, like, say, um, following this as, as being used as it uh, being called uh, linear periodization, where you have say hypertrophy phase, you know, you have a hot phase for like four weeks, and then you have a you know strength, uh, sorry, power phase and you know conversion, whatever you want to call it, for like four weeks. So instead of doing that, because uh, if you're dealing with with athletes, someone might not need those periods or they don't need to spend as much time in those periods 
besides, uh, one, one example I'm gonna give is that uh, um, I did that, you know, when I started. Um, so you plan those blocks for like 12 weeks in advance. And then, you know, I have a athlete that, that's been with us for like four weeks uh, and he's doing hypertrophy phase. And then, you know, out of, out of nothing, he goes on a training camp with the national team and then you don't see him for like three weeks. And he misses like most crucial strength phase. Uh, and once he comes back, you need to proceed to, to your pre-plan power phase with him. And he missed three weeks with you know, doing a, a crucial maximum strength phase. Um, so instead of doing those uh, where you know you, you pre-plan you know certain sequence, um, I I believe what we need to do, uh, and this idea comes from Albert Mill, I think, um, is that you create groups or or bins or buckets or athletes of similar needs and objectives and characteristics, and then you address those address those uh, needs. In, in a you know in a, in a shorter phase, and then you evaluate and you know iterate. So instead of a hypertrophy block for four weeks, maximum strength for four weeks, and then power phase for four weeks for everyone, uh, you might you might say okay for the next three weeks we're gonna work on individual uh, needs or, or individual weaknesses or strengths whatever uh, based on you know analysis of of your athlete. So can say create like a bucket of, uh, or create three groups of athletes of similar needs and then you know work on that. After a certain period of time you, you readjust. Uh, what what amazes me is that Alvaro Mill came came to this idea uh, you know years ago. Uh, 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 so he has he has uh, I would say certain physical standards. So if you are unable to do certain things you stay in that group. So you don't progress to to, to next level, um, and this doesn't necessarily. For example, he can have a, he has a work capacity block, which is being prescribed to guys who need more work capacity, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are not lifting or they are not doing speed work. It just means that uh, uh, their weakest link is you know work capacity. They, they don't have a work capacity or skill to perform certain things, so they they spend most of the time doing that. Uh, and then once they're once they're able to you know once they hit certain benchmarks, they continue on the next phase. Uh, rather than saying oh you're gonna you're gonna be here for four weeks, everybody, and then you're gonna be here for like three weeks and you know things like that. So I believe that type of strategy works better uh, in, in in team sport definitely. Uh, also when it comes to individual sports, you can see you can see the annual plans being charted. Uh, up front, and then you might see a main competition or two. Um, luckily, now we have more competitions. But the thing is, if you have one competition, say in, in six months, and then you do all your planning up front, uh, and then you just show up on a competition, I think that's ridiculous. Uh, I believe we need to plan many like smaller competitions and meets uh, in between. Uh, we need to pretty much test what's happening with the athlete. Are we doing the right right thing? And then you get the evidence, and then you get the feedback, and then we readjust. Um, so again, we are still having a, a big plan that gives us constraints, uh, but we iterate the planning. I would say the it's called the rolling planning or whatever you want to call it, rather than you know 
planning up front, so you continue planning um, all the time. Every you know, every one or three weeks, you you, you check what's happening and then you readjust. Uh, so I also see, uh, say, uh, 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 let's say that uh, the periodization when you have like one peak or two peaks, uh, I would say that uh, we need to plan much, much more, much, much, much more, uh, uh, you know, competitions before the main one because we want to make sure that things we are doing is actually working rather than believing that we're gonna hit the you know personal best in the competition. We want to make sure that we are pretty close to that before the main competition, pretty much. And you can see some of those elements in, in planning by, uh, you know, on the truck, uh, you know, Charlie Francis and, and, you know, other high-level coaches. Sure, yeah, I, I think uh, that, that totally, you know, makes a lot of sense in terms of on the planning part is, you know, why waste time planning when it might not even work out in the first place? Um, in terms of long-term planning, or maybe heavily detailed planning, I should say. Um, so I do think, you know, from that standpoint, uh, it uh, I think, at least from what I see and the coaches I'm around, is uh, that is the planning style that we do use, is, uh, you know, short-term plans um, and understanding maybe the roadmap of where we're going um, and adjusting along the way or maybe uh, rerouting where we need to. psychology so if, I think it's called Parkinson law or something like that so if you have six months to do a certain thing uh, you're gonna take it easy you know so I, I have a competition in six months you know I just take it easy but where you have you, uh, you're you're being called accountable for like a motorcycle you need to make sure you're hitting certain numbers and, and showing certain performance year, year round and then you you know you, you're much more Accountable to training and you know much more serious about it. If you have, if you have those milestones, you know much more frequently rather than, you know, ah, oh, we have a competition in six months and you know you're gonna, you're not gonna do any tests, you're not gonna do any meet, so you pretty much went blindfolded. Um, and when it comes to, uh, as you said, applying, um, you know, detailed plan. If you ever dealt with personal clients. Or, or you know personal training or someone asks you to you know write a program for him I have you know friends asking me can, can you write a gym program for me and I'm I'm pretty lazy to do that but because I used to write quite elaborate plans for them and then they will check shit so you spend your time you spend your energy to create a great plan and they don't do it so now I'm more using this MVP idea of minim, minimal viable product or in this case minimal viable plan where you plan as necessary so you plan minimally see how they react to that plan are they sticking to a plan why would I why would I waste my time and resources or you know whatever giving them you know, a perfect plan where they're not going to do it so rather I, I write really really simple plan uh, and if I see this they stick to that plan you, you slowly increase the complexity and you adjust so I, I see it as a, you know, dealing with that and dealing with, you know, dealing with humans pretty much. Sure, yeah, um, that uh, that concept I think would, would hold true with uh, many, many, say, sports or individual training as well. 
Um, well, that, that's all I had for you, Mladen. Um, I want to appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming on, and I want to thank you for that. And I do want to give you a little bit of time to maybe uh, tell people about your website um, or maybe about any um, other things you have going on that you'd like to uh, kind of talk about. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Um, so, yeah, CompotTraining.net is uh, um, started as a blog, and you know, eventually, uh, we cre we created a membership website where where we still have you know the gross amount of, of material pretty much for free, and uh, uh, we I started as you know writing writing some of the Excel you know templates. Um, which I used as a coach, and you know, I said, you know, let's let's try to sell this. You know, maybe someone can use it. And I saw people, you know, just buying it and, and seeing value in those. So you know, eventually, I decided to create a couple of products in, in Excel. Uh, so now we have a strength card builder, which is used to um, create printout cards um, for for working with a, you know with a large, larger group of players. Now we can actually save the programs and and you know print different cards and things like that and i also have an annual planner uh, because every time i start a new job or get a new client or whatever i need to create a plan or template you know from nothing so i said okay I, i'm gonna create this so it's gonna be easier for me uh, and eventually I, I saw i saw potential product and you know it, it's giving value to coaches and couple of national team coaches are using it, you know, a couple of clubs are using it. So generally now the idea and, and the future of complementary training um, is to make those Excel templates um, as a web apps and, you know, increasing the features and simplicity uh, of, of those tools. So I have, I have a couple of pro, uh, products down the pipeline. Um, Probably one that, that crosses my mind is uh, Wellness and RP uh, collection tool. Uh, I see people struggling with you know collecting RPs and Wellness. Some are doing some are doing it on the paper. You know some are using Google Docs or whatever. So I want to create a tool that that's quite cheap and quite flexible and, and you know, it could be used in large amount of groups you know quite easily. Uh, so that's one of the pro, uh, you know, uh, products I have on a, in the pipeline. Um, so, and, you know, besides blogging and all, all, all that other stuff, so I believe that uh, this this new couple of tools I'm gonna have, uh, I, I plan building it. They're gonna help uh, help doing, the, you know, help coaches doing the the basics better. So that that's pretty much it. Um, and as I said, I avoid planning. In the future, too too long because we don't know how the market is going to react. Uh, as I said, most of the ideas regarding agile presentation come from IT sector. Uh, for example, books such as uh, Lean Startup, uh, the idea of the MVP and you know testing the market and testing the users, using using the user feedback to you know pivot and and adjust your product and you know, things like that. So that's, that's what I plan also using when, when it comes to uh, building. Uh, uh, yeah, um, I think you know, all of that sounds pretty, pretty interesting. I mean, especially on the wellness survey side and all of those things. Um, again, I want to uh, thank you for your time, Layden, and you've been uh, great on the show. And uh, again, um, hope to talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, John. 
All right. Thank you.